0: Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. This is going to be a short introduction. We're joined by Casey Koth, the Director of Grounds at Trinity Forest Golf Club in Dallas. Casey and his team are preparing to host the PGA Tours AT&T Byron Nelson on a golf course that's less than two years old. But this podcast is about much more than hosting a PGA Tour event, so we're going to let Casey take it from here. Well, Casey, this is awesome to have you on. I know things are very busy at Trinity Forest. You're getting ready to host the AT&T Byron Nelson But before we get to that, I think the question that has been on my mind since I realized you were going to come on the podcast is, how's your dog Dixie doing, and how has she handled some of this newfound fame?
1: Uh, Right now, she is laying under the desk. This is her afternoon spot. We do the running in the morning, and then we do afternoon naps, which sometimes I wish she would do the afternoon running, because when I get home, I'm tired, and she's not. Uh, Her fame... Sometimes it gets to her head. She's always like, tweet about me. I want to do more calendar shoots. I can't keep up with her anymore. And she's got an entourage. I mean, every time we go out, there's like 10 or 12 dogs trying to take pictures of her. And I'm just like, guys, guys, look. You don't know what it's like walking in her fur.
0: So for people that maybe aren't familiar with the story, you got this idea in your head to start a calendar. Tell the people that don't know, who maybe aren't on social media or somehow haven't heard about it, the idea behind the calendar and how Dixie played into all this.
1: <laughs> so I took a great picture of Dixie and sent it in for one of the uh, major dog calendars last year. And, of course, Dixie is better looking than any other dog in the world. And I then started a hashtag, Dixie2018. Actually, somebody else started it. I believe it was Tom Taylor from Myrtle Beach started the Dixie2018 hashtag. And I found out that she was not selected for the calendar, and uh, I didn't know if I could even get her out of bed. She was so upset about it. And so I went to Twitter and jokingly said, you know what, forget you, other company. I'm going to create my own calendar with all the dogs in it that don't get into your selective calendar, because everybody gets a trophy in my calendar. So it was totally a joke. And people started submitting me these pictures of their dog. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I've got not know anything about doing a calendar. I don't know anything. What, am I, what have I got myself into? And luckily, it, as it sort of started snowballing, uh, Matt Quarantine from Rainbird actually reached out to me and said, hey, we'd love to sponsor it. We'd love to be a big part of it and everything. And then his wife took the reins. Bless her for doing it. Put the reins, and I collected all the dog pictures, and she put them together, created the calendar, and uh, it was a huge hit. Who doesn't want their dog to be in a calendar? And so this year, we've actually got an even bigger plan. It's going to be great, and I'll do another big social media thing probably middle of the summer is when we're probably going to get after it, but a little more organized this year. But yep, that's how it came about.
0: How many pictures did people send to you, and how did Dixie handle you staring at so many other dogs all the time?
1: She... She's not that jealous when it comes to that. I mean, she knows that I'm a one-dog kind of guy. Some, some other, you know, girl dogs would probably be a little bit jealous about that kind of stuff. But I try to stick with really independent ladies in my life. So she is the independent lady. Um, with that being said, we ended up with around 150 dogs last year. And that was all off of Twitter. So I was thinking about actually doing something on that uh, golf course maintenance Facebook page that Gary Greg runs next year, and I want 500 dogs next year. I think we can do it, and I think the calendar is going to just keep growing. And I, at some point, I might sort of hand the reins over and let the bigger people do it. It's amazing that people are like, "Hey, here's an idea for your calendar. Hey, why don't you do this? Hey, why don't you?" I'm like. Dates to my calendar i do whatever I want to <laughs> listen to you so I, I don't really want to deal with that very much it was a fun thing I enjoy it I think it's fun people love their dogs so I'll do it for at least one
0: more year and you were doing all this while preparing a golf course for its moment in the national spotlight
1: yeah yeah and I, I, like I said it was just something that I kind of took on and we were doing the golf course, and uh, shoot the golf course only a year old. So, I mean, believe me, there's plenty of work to be done still. And I just said, you know what, I'll create this calendar, and I'll, I'll be a part of it. And I had fun with it, and it meant a lot to me. And In fact, I have the very first one ever made framed in my office right now. So I, I took it really seriously. It was a big deal to me.
0: You're very savvy guy when it comes to technology and using social media, but did the response even surprise you? Did you realize that a few tweets and Facebook posts could lead to something like the calendar? No idea.
1: I had no idea and I mean there's so many other things that happened because of the calendar that I'm not even gonna get into that were just cool things in my life that have happened because of the calendar and yeah it was just pretty neat. I didn't expect it. I it was, like I said, it was a joke, man. Like, I joke a lot. If people know that On if they read my social media posts. I don't take my life that seriously. And it turned into something that people really loved. And it's funny. When people got their calendars, they're, like, tweeting pictures. Oh, my dog's third one down, third from the right July, whatever, you know. And I'm just like, wow. Like, people's, like, kids were like, oh, look, our dog is in the calendar. And so that was just neat. It was cool to see that. I People love their dogs, man. I mean, so people would send me pictures of their dogs, like, covered in mud and covered in water. And those were the good pictures. The other pictures for the other calendars, they're all these, like, beautiful staged pictures. And our pictures were normal life pictures. I liked it.
0: I had, I enjoyed it a lot, man. Okay, so we're six minutes and 15 seconds into the podcast, and we haven't even mentioned golf course maintenance or Trinity Force yet. I was doing some research on you, Casey, and I, I've known you now for close to five years, you, you've almost been at Trinity Forest for four years now. What has it been like seeing the evolution of a new golf course and pretty much being there since construction started to seeing it to the point you're at now?
1: When I started here, it was a landfill. And I remember I came about before I was even hired, and I rode around the property, and I'm looking, and I'm like, I know, of course, Court and French are, in my opinion, the best there are our, uh, architects right now. And uh, I'm looking and all I see is center line poles, but I don't know which, where they're going because it's just a piece of property with no trees on it. And I'm like, I just trusted in their process of what they were going to do and reached out to a couple guys that have done core Crenshaw work, um, Rusty Mercer down at um, Song, And I remember he told me, just listen to what they say. Just listen to them. They're the best. Just really take it in what they want to do. And um, I did and I really bought into what their philosophy is, and I talked to their guys on site about their philosophy, and it's not its not anybody else's philosophy. It's not a Parkland-style golf course philosophy, and you really have to buy into it. And so just to come upon that and get a, be a part of it was amazing, and to see that thing go through as hectic and crazy as it was, I mean, the laws, everything else we have to abide by being on a landfill is just amazing. And to see it to where it is now, I send my assistants all the time. We're in a group text, all of them. And I'll send them a picture from two years ago, and it'll be all dirt. I'll be like, two years ago today. And I just like to remind them, everybody, of where we were and where we are now. Because there's still a lot. We see negative all the time. You just look, and you're like, oh, we got to fix this. we got to fix this. And you look at it in the grand scheme of things, you're like, holy cow, look what Look what we accomplished! Look what, look what we've done! I mean, from sprigging the zoysia grass, we had nobody to call about that. We did it. Everybody in Dallas, when we said we were sprigging zoysia, they said you guys are crazy. Nobody can do that. Well, we did it, and, and we think outside the box on a lot of things. And I don't listen to what other. I, I do understand what other people are saying, but I don't. I don't sit there and listen and harp on what other people say. We just do it our own way, and and, and that's the best part about it.
0: Trinity Forest is an amazing story. It's part of a gigantic reclamation project, really in the shadows of downtown Dallas. For people that aren't familiar, Casey, describe the land and how the golf course is fitting into a bigger mission here.
1: So we're eight eight miles if if you were to go the way the bird flies. So about twelve miles highway to downtown Dallas. In so we're in Dallas. Our address is Dallas, Texas, and. um, our ownership was looking for a place to build a golf course, and they wanted to build it in Dallas. Well, obviously, there's no land in a city, the the fourth largest city in the country. There's just not a lot of land within the city. Outside the city, there's plenty. They wanted it to be in Dallas. So what they ended up finding was this landfill, and that's it. That's all the land. And, well, they decided this would be a good good place, and they hired a good team of people that helped put this thing together, even before I was here for three years before I was here, putting it together. And they had to go to the Texas uh, Commission for Environmental Quality. They basically had to write a book for us saying, this is what you can and can't do in building a golf course on a landfill. So, like, all this red tape that we had to go through, and actually this is still city land, and what we've actually done is, because the landfill has to be maintained forever. I mean, they closed the landfill down, they still have to maintain it. We've taken that burden off the taxpayer as a private offload. We now maintain this. We're operating on a 40-year lease from the city. But part of it is also this is not the best area of Dallas. And if you look at taxpayer money in Dallas, it's all north, hardly any south. And, I mean, it's it's just a rough sort of neighborhood here, and just business is already starting to come this way. And, and just to bring business down here is a big thing. I mean, when I got down here, I, I'm not kidding. The nearest grocery store is eight, nine miles away from where I'm at, in the town. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, how do these people get food? Where, where does any? But you know what there is? There's a dollar menu at a fast food place, and there's a dollar menu. You know what I'm saying? So, and to get to get people to really turn, I think, in a neighborhood like that, is you have to, you have to provide healthy options and healthy. You, you have to really turn it that way and bring business into a neighborhood. And it's really helping that. I mean, I think, you know, it's not happening overnight, but I think in, in, in a few years it's going to have a sort of East Lake property to it. It's going to be really neat. And we took a landfill that was just sitting here doing nothing and turned it into a, a golf course. A golf course that's going to host a golf tournament and bring even more money into the city.
0: How does it change your perspective when you see some of the things that you saw and went through some of the neighborhoods near the golf course? I think many of us in the golf industry, when we go to properties, we're usually at clubs that are in the, the best part of town that are surrounded by homes that are, you know, 500,000, a million, sometimes two, three, three, million. What was it like for you seeing that perspective in urban Dallas when you got to your job?
1: At first, it it's almost shocking. You're kind of going around and you're just like, oh, my gosh, you know, I saw this today or I saw this at a you know, the gas station down the street. or I remember one time, because when I first got here, all I had was some cars. We didn't have water or anything. There's like a little car wash about a mile down the road, and I remember going down there, and there was dudes smoking crack outside the car wash, like no joke. And, but then, like, the more you sort of, like, involve yourself in the community down here and you understand Nobody's ever messed with us. We've had no serious crime. I mean, we've had a few things that maybe like a kid would do, like a little silly vandalism thing. But I'm not talking about that. We've had no crimes against any of us. I'd say 85% of our staff is from this neighborhood. And I try to talk to them, and I, I ask them questions. I say, you know, what can we do to help down here? what What is a what is something that we can do, just maybe small, that we could help? To turn it around, or to you know maybe get us viewed because I don't want it to be a us versus them type mentality. Oh, there's the rich people over there. No, like we try to involve them. I we've had uh, recently some of the community leaders down here didn't want uh, sort of toxic uh, business coming into the area, and I signed their petition for it. you know like I just want to be a part of their community as well. I know I'm I'm never going to be able to relate to it totally but we just wanted to have them know that this is an open arms place we respect everybody down here as long as they respect us and nobody's ever messed with us it's actually been kind of an interesting um relationship if you will especially for our department because our department gets out into the community a little bit more and we're more faces out there but uh i've seen some really interesting things down here that's for sure
0: what was it like assembling your work team And I take it you probably have some people on your crew that maybe had never been on a golf course or knew maybe nothing about golf when they started working at Trinity Forest.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. So when I I first accepted the job, I called Chad, who's now my golf course superintendent, immediately. In fact, when I first interviewed for the job, I called him because I knew he and I would – the odd eye on a lot of things. He was an intern for me at Atlanta Athletic Club the year of the PGA Championship and was an assistant in North Carolina for a friend of mine um, who is a great mentor as well. So I said, you know, I'm going to call him. So I got him. I got James, our lead assistant. His parents were members at Country Club of Orlando. So I knew him personally from there. And everybody else that I hired as I went down at first was from either people that I know or people, people's assistants of guys that I know. And then I ended up with Sarah, who just actually reached out to us and was at a smaller club in the north side of town, just reached out to us, and we said, well, that's a go-getter. She just cold-called us and said, hey, I'd love to be on a high-end property. Well, that's what we want. You know, we want people, people that do stuff like that. So we hired her, and once once my team was assembled, I was – in my opinion, is the best team around. Then came hiring staff. That was not easy. Um, we really settled down. We did a we had a lot of turnover in the very beginning, but I think everything's sort of calmed down now. In the past, probably eight months, where we're we've got a really good staff. I think we've only had. Three of our we have about thirty five and three of them worked on golf before this, so it it's a good thing that we can train them. But what the funny thing is is our golf course is so unique i mean we have we have eight acres of greens, which is crazy and last year for the Byron Nelson when it was at Las Colinas, we sent crew members over to volunteer, so we'd send you know three over one morning, three over the next morning three over so they could at least see what the golf tournament's like, and all they ever came back and said was, oh my gosh, their greens are so small. And I'm like, no, their greens are normal. You <laughs> don't understand, like, the scale of this place. Was, we have 100 acres of fairways, you know. They have 30. And so they're like, they only had out three fairway mowers, you know, just for a normal fairway mower for us, we have to send out seven. So, <laughs> but we don't have rough, so it's, it's, it's a different setup. but. It was just interesting, because you're hearing these questions, because they've never seen golf. And it was fun, though, because we got to train them the way we wanted it to be. And really, that's all they know. They only know the way we do it. So when everybody's watching on TV critiquing and kind of saying, oh, why did they do this, why did they do that? Well, it wasn't the mistakes the crew made. It would have been the mistakes that we made training the crew. So.
0: You worked for one of the all-time legends in the industry, Ken Mangum at Atlanta Athletic Club. How has that helped you establish what you're establishing at Trinity Forest? And do you ever go through your job thinking, you know, how would Ken handle this? Is he still a resource for you? And how has he been able to help you with such a unique situation that you have now?
1: I still talk to Ken. I talked to Ken three days ago, I think, on the phone. He's retired. He's loving life.
0: Well, he's retired, but working. He's retired, but I always see him at industry shows doing stuff. <laughs> oh, uh, he's,
1: like, he's like my dad. He retired and just keeps working. I'm like, uh, retired means stop working. Go do something fun. But uh, Ken loves the industry, so I don't think he'll ever get out of it in whatever capacity he's in. But, uh, no, I still talk to him. I think it's really interesting. When I worked for him, it was a mentor, a boss. Um he's the nicest man I've ever met. The man has never raised his, I've never seen him raise his voice, ever once. And I've seen members raise their voice and the way he handled that. I think that's what I learned the most was how to like treat people and how a family atmosphere can be a great atmosphere to work in. And that's what I try to do. Uh, Agronomics, I mean, Atlanta to Dallas isn't really the same. You know, we kind of do our own thing over here. That's that's whatever that is but really what i learned from him was and we instill that here is we're a family and we're going to treat each other with like a family and most people laugh at us but we actually to each other the assistants and everything will say i love you we'll be like all right love you bye and and but that's the that's the environment we are here we want everybody to feel included we want every we have guys girls Any color, skin, ethnicity, different countries, men, women, everything, you know? And we want that environment here, and that's what I learned from Ken. I learned that you don't have to be this boss in there stomping his feet and yelling and throwing stuff around. That's just not us, and we're never going to be like that, and we're not going to get worked up. And if something's wrong, we're going to come together and we're going to put a plan together to fix it, because stomping around and yelling at people's not going to get anything done, and and we are all about trying to build respect with with each other. And I think, and now Ken and I, I think are friends. You know, I think we're more friends than we are even a mentor. And it's crazy because he's a couple years older than me, but like we talk like we're friends, and we talk about how's your family and how's we we don't talk like, hey, how's work going type thing. It, it's just. The relationship changed. I I wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: Speaking of industry legends, how surreal was it for you and your assistants to watch Ben Crenshaw and Bill Kaur design a golf course and play a part in what they were doing?
1: It was amazing. The guys are the best people, the best uh, men. I mean, they aren't just good people. They're the best men that I've been around. Ben Crenshaw is the nicest man. I have a letter that I framed and put on my wall. He wrote me and hand signed a letter and mailed it to me thanking me for growing in the golf course. I mean, who does that? You know, that is, that is so above and beyond. And that's not something that I would expect any other architect or really any other people. That is, that is just nice people. Bill calls me all the time. Bill checks in. I talk to their guys, their guys that left here and went to Branson, and they're building the course in Branson. I talk to them all the time. And the relationship didn't end when the golf course stopped being built. Bill, ben will call me. Hey, Casey, just want to check. How's everything going? I'm coming up next week, whatever. They don't go. When they come up, they don't go to the clubhouse. They come to the maintenance facility. They come here, and they sit and eat. And, and, you know, at first you're starstruck. You're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And you get so used to being around them, and they're so – normal people that, I'll never forget this, I went out to dinner with Ben, Bill, a couple of our members, and we're all sitting at just a Mexican place here in Dallas, and all of a sudden, these, like, people come running up, and they're like, oh my gosh, can we get a picture with you? And, like, I'm looking, I'm like, why would they want a picture with oh, (laughs) because he's famous. You know, but, like, you just don't, you're around him so much, you you he's just one of the guys, like, Ben will drink beer with you, and hang out, and Bill's stories the stories can go forever and bill doesn't care about all the publicity he really doesn't i remember a uh, a reporter came out and bill's all dirty because bill shapes all the greens himself on a sand pro and this reporter comes out and bill and i are talking and he, the reporter guy goes hey i'm looking for the golf course architect and bill looks at him and goes yeah i think he's out on the course and the guy just leaves and takes off and bill's like okay yeah and then bill gets on the machine and starts driving he's like they'll never suspect me you know i'm dirty and look like just some dirty builder guy or something you know and and those guys what they produce out of it, this place a lot of times they say they don't move dirt i get that this place was a landfill we had to bring all of our soil in we had to cap this place and they created something out of nothing and and what they created is just magical, and it's unbelievable, and it's just different from anything else, especially for this area. It's nothing compared to anything in this area. And then to top it off, I Bill, Ben does a radio show on SiriusXM Radio. I've never heard it, but anytime they talk about this golf course, he says, "And Casey's doing such a great job with that turf." And people text me and say that. I mean, that is just—he doesn't have to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like. In my mind, I'm a little person compared to a person like that. But in his mind, everybody's just equal playing field. doesn't matter if he's won two green jackets. Casey, you're a good person. I want to talk to you. Let's let's have a friendship. And that's an
0: amazing thing. Who are some other people that stuck out to you during the construction process? Obviously, it's more than the golf course architect needed to get the job done. Who are some other characters you met on the project? And what were some other maybe construction stories you still have stuck in your head?
1: Their team, a lot of their team is long-time employees. They have been with Bill and Ben for a long time. Their overseas guys are some shorter term, like Keith Webb, who's done some work on his own. He does a lot of their overseas, and they've got a little. They've got a nice staff that does a lot of that stuff. But their stuff in America, I mean, like like Jimbo Wright, that guy has been working for them since the, his his cousin was working for them and built Sandhills. That's how long he's been with them, and. Oh, my gosh. These guys, I mean, they take so much pride in their work. Jeff Bradley's their bunker guy, the best bunker guy in the world. Anytime he's coming through town, we may, he calls us, we go play golf, have a beer with him. The guy is unbelievable. And a guy named John Hawker was on the project, an Australian guy. And those guys, I mean, I could tell stories forever. And we still tell stories. We still laugh about them. I don't want to tell them on this because I don't want to ruffle any feathers because some of them are pretty funny. But, uh you know, we still give each other a hard time over a few things. Well, one, that, so they're so prideful of their work. and this, I'm going to get in so much trouble telling this story. So we till, tilled in our um, amendments on the greens. <laughs> and we have push-up greens, so we amended them, and then we tilled them. And I said, Bill, I called Bill. I said, Bill, they're kind of, you know, I, I'd like to just run your sample over them just to get them packed down a little bit. And once they pack down, you come in and shape them. I just want to make sure the, the mix doesn't blow away or anything. He's like, yeah, go ahead. So Jimbo doesn't know that I'm doing this, and I I feel him just staring at me. He's like two fairways over, and I'm just running the sand pro across the green, just packing it down. And he's doing over it all night. I walk in the next morning. He stands up, stands, gets in my face. He goes, I didn't want to tell, talk to you in front of all these people. And I'm looking around. I'm like, well, you're talking to me in front of all these people. He goes, you don't, you're not a shaper. You're out there trying to shape these greens. I said, whoa, man, Bill, Bill told me to do that. He goes, no, he would never tell you to do that. And I said, no, I just smoothed it out. He rides out there, sees it, and then comes in. He goes, oh, oh, yeah, that, that's what you're doing. I I, I think what you're doing. <laughs> and then, oh, one more. I got to have one more. Dixie said, hi. Hi, Dixie. So, Jimbo is from Texas, and we're all sitting in there, and we're all watching the uh, the British Open at St Andrews. And Jordan is making a big run towards the end. He ended up bogeying seventeen. I think he lost by one, but he's making a big run. He's bombing in putts, and then there is one guy at the table. I am not going to say who it is. I didn't want Jordan to win, and Jordan bogey seventeen, and, he, and the guy's like quietly well, goes, "Nice." And Jimbo stands up, grabs his stuff, starts walking towards the door, turns around looks back in the room, and he goes, man's working in Texas, cheering against Texas. And he just slams the door and walks. That was so funny. I was like, this is great. This is something I will never forget.
0: So, Casey, a lot of us have seen pictures of the golf course on social media or some of the excellent videos that have been done about it. You're on the land every single day with your team. What's unique about Trinity Force, And describe to our listeners what the golf course is like from your perspective.
1: So we are, every bit of our golf is built on a landfill. There are no trees on the golf course. All of the golf course was built with fill dirt that we had to, basically mine. mined. We mined about 750,000 cubic yards of dirt, and it was built on top. So his shapers created a masterpiece out of fill dirt because we were not allowed to cut into the landfill cap. That was against the law. So that was a unique feature that probably nobody else really has to deal with. Um, with that being said, we're now just a link-style golf course, uh, no trees, not, not a single tree on the golf course. There's a forest surrounding us that we can't touch, but on the landfill itself, no trees. We are 100% uh, all of our short grasses. It was called L1F, now it's called Trinity Zoysia. They named it after us, which was nice.
0: Yeah, how did you uh, get that? I was going to ask you about that. How how did you get a Zoysia grass named after your golf course?
1: Well, when they, they it was called L1F, which was the research name, and we are the first course and currently the only course in the world with it, planted wall-to-wall, if you will. Uh, Blue Jack down in uh, Houston has their surrounds with it, and I know a few people put it on their tees and surrounds, but we have it all of our fairways, and when they were trying to, they were like, oh, we got to create a name for this because we can't just use a research name forever. And they said, well, we'll just call it Trinity. And the people will associate it with this golf course, and they're hoping that, you know, that'll help build it. Somebody says, what kind of grass? Oh, i go see that grass, Trinity Forest, it's great. We, we have no rough. Our rough is, we have 60 acres of native blend of, it's about 30 to 40 seed species called blackland prairie, and it's an indigenous to this area. We don't irrigate it. It is what it is. We do keep the noxious weeds out. It is the, Blackland Prairie is the most endangered ecosystem in all of North America. So we've, we worked with the Audubon of Texas to create the seed mix. And that's basically all the golf course is. It's fairways. Then we have Champion Bermuda Greens and the native, and the whole golf course is that. We don't, our fairways connecting to T's. If you were out here and we didn't have T markers, you you would just stick a peg in the ground somewhere. We don't have defined T's. We don't have, you know, defined edges. We didn't, we didn't make a hard line of irrigation around the edge of the fairway. It's not center row, but, I mean, areas dry out and brown out and get crispy out there, and that's okay with us. Um, it's just a really unique property, and it's, very high-end, very, very private. Um, we're also the golf team of SMU men's and women's play out of here because a lot of our members are alums of SMU, and they have a practice facility built out there. Uh, uh, Cameron McCormick, who is Jordan's teacher, is out of here, so Jordan's a member. Then, I mean, we basically have a 160-acre golf course with 100 of it being turf, Then on the north side of the property, we have a driving range, short-game facility, a parts recourse, and then we donated another 15 acres of land to the first tee of Dallas that we maintain, and they're building like a big facility out there, and we'll just keep maintaining it for them up there. It's a big property. We end up with about 500 total acres.
0: Your property is in a state where you can go from flood to drought in the same month, and you're also in an environmentally sensitive area, what are some tactics you use, Casey, to effectively manage the resources that you put on the golf course?
1: Well, with the, the grass choices, we chose turf grasses that were A, creative in Texas, champion in the uh, Trinity Zoysia, were created in Texas, and our native is all native plants from Texas, not irrigated. So if it stops raining, that, that stuff turns brown. And when it starts raining again, it turns green. And Zoja, I mean, we are we are really low inputs on it, low water, low fertility because it just doesn't need a lot. And we play so firm and fast, we don't want it to be slow and spongy and wet. Um, and then the greens are mostly, with them being champion, I mean, they're relatively low input. I mean, they're not they're not the lowest that you could possibly ever have, but they're not bent grass. And a lot of guys in Dallas are still bent grass. So I think with that, we're really doing well on the environmental side. In my opinion, we are. I mean, our inputs are probably a quarter of what other equal golf courses would be in the area. And with the forest, I mean, our property goes out into the forest. We do not touch that forest. Our The landfill's built up out of the forest. Anytime it rains, the forest will actually flood, and it just goes down, and we just keep living our lives. I mean, we don't do anything to uh, manipulate any of that flooding, any of that. We really try to keep a light footprint. In fact, the Audubon of uh, Texas has a building that shares the road with our maintenance facility. And we actually have them come out and do quarterly uh, checks on our um, native and everything. So they'll do bird counts, animal counts on it. and, And I mean, we pay them to do it. But they give us almost like if you had the USGA come to your golf course and write your report, they'll write a report. Oh, this has been great. You know, now that this plant is coming up in your native, you're getting these birds coming in. Or, you know, now that it's been raining or when we cut our native, this is a great thing. When we cut our native, the field mice are all in the native. And all the hawks and all the birds of prey come in and all the snakes come in and eat them. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of just a neat thing. It's a symbiotic thing. And with our native, we actually, if you look at other areas that are trying to do prairie restoration, they don't really have manpower or anything, so it ends up getting overrun with noxious weeds. You end up with Johnson grass, Bermuda grass. You know, we we have people out there, we'll take care of that. We'll take care of it with a shovel. We'll take care of it with a weed eater. Uh, we, don't, we don't really spray very much out in the native at all. So if we're spraying, it's a bad Johnson grass plant we round up or something. So we really are trying to keep that, and we take it seriously. And the guys that I have on staff take it seriously. And I wasn't worried, but when you hire a bunch of people from Parkland-style green golf courses, you really have to get them to buy in. And they bought in. The membership is bought in. So once you get everybody to buy in, you can really do some great things in
0: my life. How fun has it been being involved in a project and at a place where you can do things completely different in your own way?
1: Well, for me, because I am trying to always be completely different in my own way, it's great. I have always been sort of an outside-the-box person. I think a lot of people might joke at me or make fun of me for that. and Maybe I make fun of them by posting pictures of jest and saying, oh, look, driving on my greens today or whatever I'm doing. I think it's a great thing. It's a good fit for somebody like me in the way that I think and the way that my team together thinks. And, you know, I, I think it would be a hard, it's not an easy job. I think if you came from a course that is like this pristine thing all the time, it's hard for you to understand and to see. Uh, I've had other superintendents say, well, what about the leaves and the natives? I was like, oh, no, those are broadleaves. He's like, oh, no, yeah, no, it's covered in clover and stuff. I was like, no, that's that's what deer eat, meaning I don't care. That's good. The deer will eat it. It's good for them. you know. And, and they might, they're thinking in their head, oh, my God, how can you deal with this clover all over your native? Or how can you? But to us, I mean, that's just part of it. And we're proud of it. And that's what I think separates us. And when I go to another golf course, I'm not going to critique their you know, beautifully green golf course. I get upset when my drive only goes 240 because it just plugs in the fairway. Okay, that was a lie. It's 220 pot. Um, but, you know, I like playing out here because when my ball hits at the fairway, it goes another 75 yards. And I know other people like that. And, and I I think it's nice, too, being on such a unique property because I don't have members that say, well, I played at X, Y, and Z course, and it was like this because there is no other course like us. So I don't get compared you know, whereas, you know, maybe a guy at the course down the street is compared to the guy across the town because all the members are shared. But we don't get that here because we are so unique, and, and, and we're proud of it. And we really, really love showing that. And we'll, we'll brag about it, I think. I think we might be a little arrogant about how unique we are, and that's okay because that's we're proud of it.
0: What has it been like getting the golf course ready for a PGA Tour event How do you want it playing for the pros, and have you had any guys come in, and what's been the reception from really high-level players when they experience the course for the first time?
1: The way I want the golf course to play doesn't matter. Um, The tour really um, has a mandate on what they want.
0: They like it really firm. I mean, Paul Vermillion explained this to us in Kentucky last year. They really want a, a firm golf course, right, Casey? And it sounds like you might be able to give it to them.
1: Yeah. But as far as, like, overall playability, we're trying to get it firm and fast. You know, our green speeds aren't these crazy bragging. We have 10.5, 11, if it's not windy, because we have so much wind that if you, you don't want play to play the stop for balls rolling off the green. So 10.5 for us is a great green speed, even for the tour. That's what they're going to have them at. It's going to all depend on weather here. Our problem is our May date. May is typically a very wet month in Dallas. So you know, if we get a lot of rain and it doesn't play like it's supposed to, they might go pretty low. I don't care. I don't care what they shoot. Somebody, it doesn't matter. Somebody's going to walk away with a million bucks no matter what happens. Um, but I'd love to see it play the way it's supposed to play. Water off, just balls running all over the place. You know, greens receptive for good shots. And, and I think, I think some of the reaction for the. People that played in the very beginning were brand new greens. Of course, balls are bouncing everywhere, and they were like, "Ah, oh, this place is just too hard." And I think as people, have, as the greens have softened up a little bit, people are now like, "Wow, this is fun," you know. This is different. Uh, even pros, I've heard you know interesting comments from pros because you don't play it like you play a normal golf course. And a lot of holes, you don't aim at the the flag. You aim twenty five yards left of the flag, and you'll end up ten feet from the flag. But if you aim at the flag, you are going to be dead. So it's going to be. You know, guys like Jordan that play here, Jordan Hunter Mayhan plays here all the time. You get those guys, they're going to, well, if they're hitting the ball well, they'll kill everybody out here because they know it. It's going to be one of those courses where I think the caddies are going to have a lot of work to do with the amount of wind, with the okay boss. You need to aim, <laughs> how do you tell a tour pro with an eight iron in his hand, you need to aim 15 yards left of the pit? Those guys are used to saying, all right, just put it right next to the pin. It just stops right there, and I go tap it for birdie. That's where they're going to they're gonna have to switch their brains a little bit and get out of that aim, hit it there, it stops, hit it there, it stops, because that's not what it is out here. We'll have a 100-yard wide fairway, and you want to play it in a really a 15-yard wide area if you want the best angle at the pin. Bill and Ben gave you the whole fairway. Hit it wherever you want out there. But if you're not hitting it in that one spot, you're not going to make a birdie because you're coming in at the wrong angle. You're going to hit across a hill. You're going to make pars. Pars aren't going to win a tournament, though. So it's really neat, and that that was a neat thing about being a part of this project and seeing it as you see how to play golf the way I think golf should be played, which is backwards. You don't just stand on a tee and say, okay, hit that little tiny fairway. Okay, I did that. Now I'm in this little tiny fairway. Okay, now hit it at that little tiny green. And when you hit it there, it's going to stop right beside the hole. You know, that that to me is a fun. This is, hit it wherever you want, but you need to think about the pen's there. I need to put it on the right side of the fairway because the pen's there if I really want to get to that pen. And I just, I'm going to be really excited to see the, the pros go at it that way because a lot of them aren't used to it, but then... I think it eliminates the long ball hitter 100%, and it brings in the guy who can hit his ball sort of in that 15-yard area and then can hit his next 8-iron to where he wants it. The long ball hitter is just going to have bad angles all day and be really
0: annoyed. Last thing here, Casey, we're recording this a few weeks before the Byron Nelson. How do you feel right now? I take it a guy like you probably doesn't get too nervous about hosting a tournament. How do you – feel? Are you excited? Do you feel a tremendous sense of pride? Are there some jitters? How does somebody that thinks a little bit differently like you feel when such a big moment is about to arrive?
1: Of course there's nerves. You really just don't want to mess anything up. Anybody that wants to know what that's like, I've already done that once before at a golf tournament. It was all over the golf channel. I don't need that again in my life. Um, People that know that are listening to this can figure that one out. Um, So, I, I, I think The biggest thing that I it worries me that you can't do anything about is the weather, and I'm sure anybody else that hosts the tournament would say that. But being a spring, a late spring event on a warm season turf golf course is nerve wracking. Like our average last frost date is March 5th. We just had a frost on April 15th. So what do you do? You know, you say currently our greens are semi dormant. They're Bermuda now. Dormant greens on Bermuda are great to putt on, but I prefer them not to be dormant. <laughs> so that that's kind of an interesting thing. And having a tournament that I had before at the end of the summer, everything you're doing, you're grooming the grass, you're doing all those things, and you're building up to the tournament. Well, here, you're just coming out of dormancy. You're just like, come on, come out of dormancy. So I think that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest concern. As far as everything else, I mean, my team has, everybody took responsibility for certain things for the tournament, and everybody's put it together so well for the volunteer experience, to everything else, that I think we're just ready for it to get here. We're ready for these warm temperatures to set in, which I'm sure everybody else in the country is waiting for. And you just want to see it. You want to see how it looks on TV. I don't know how it's going to look on TV. I'm really excited about that. So, nervous? No? Excited? Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, Casey, we thank you for taking so much time. I know you got a bunch of things going on. And I know everybody in the industry would like to thank you for how you've kind of shared what you've done at Trinity Force over the last three and a half years. I think a lot of us feel like we've kind of been involved in the process with some of the things you've done on social media and some of the things the club has done on social media. So thanks for being so open with information. Good luck with the tournament and tell Dixie we say goodbye and Try to humble her before the PGA Tour arrives.
1: Yeah, she's already asking me if she can get clubhouse passes. I'm like, look, you don't even like anybody, let alone pro golfer. So I'll let her know. But thanks for having me, guys.